It has been called the greatest poem in the Psalter and the greatest lyrics in the world. The author of this quote is none other than acclaimed Christian author, C.S. Lewis. The poem he is speaking about is the 19th Psalm, which we're looking at today. We're going to consider this greatest poem, this greatest lyrics in 14 verses. That's all for Psalm 19. Uh, and we're doing it in the midst of a very difficult year. It has been uh, Dick's suggestion that we look to the Lord at this very, very critical time for us. We believe that this psalm, as I share it, is one of encouragement. We're going to take the psalm in three parts. We're going to start with some background just briefly. Then we'll look at the text, the 14 verses, and then we'll take some takeaways that will kind of give us something to walk away with to say, wow, okay, the Lord was there. He encouraged us. First of all, some background. Uh, psalm 19 was written by King David. The titles which were added to the Psalms later indicates King David. And unfortunately, we don't know the circumstances surrounding this Psalm. Uh, it was intended to be sung, by the way, uh, by the Jewish people through all generations, uh, hence the words in the title again for the director of music. The psalm itself speaks of the wonders of God's creation, the, his written word, and the victory he promises over sin in our lives. Very important. Let's move on to the text. First of all, God's creation. Such glorious music we've been singing, such good thoughts. Let's start out with the fact as we look at the first few verses, verses one to four, we see in verse one, the name of God, but we have to look past to see which name of God was chosen by David. It is in fact Elohim or El, if you prefer. When he wrote about the creation, David used Elohim, the name that speaks of God's power. So he starts off right off the bat, God's power. God who is powerful, perhaps. There are four action words in verses one to two. They show the impact of God's creation on the world. Four words. Now, the word, first word that I see, and again, this is for the NIV, um, it is declare. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sheer size and unrivaled beauty of the heavens reaching deep into space that we in our generation can see partially declare the glory of God. It has been amazing to see how far out there we are trying to reach, but it is endless. Declare, and this speaks of the glory of God. You can't see someone's creation. We can't look at the artist's creation and say, wow, that's nice. I like it in itself. No, you want to know more about the artist. What impacted him? What, what is he or she like? Tell me. When you look at the creation, it speaks of the glory of God. The second word is proclaim in that group of verses from one to four. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Looking up, looking at the skies. The magnificence of the heavens above Proclaim the one who made them. Pour forth is another one. This is interesting. 
The scripture is day after day, they pour forth speech. The heavens and the skies constantly announce who made them. God's handiwork is in evidence. Pour forth is very interesting. It's not a word I would have chosen. But as the Lord led David, it, pour forth is literally gush, like um, bubble up, like, like a river, like a stream. Uh, most of, often used for springs or streams. The significance of the term here seems to be the speech never ceases. Pour forth. And the last of the four words was reveal. And I like this. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. The knowledge of God's creativity and power never ends. Just walk outside at night on a clear night and look up at the stars. It's like, where am I, Lord? And this is not Star Trek or Star Wars. This is the real thing. Look at the next few verses, three and four. These verses tell of God's unique communication of the work of his creation. We see it and it's self-evident. And yet there's a communication factor that's going on. Verse three says, they have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into the earth. Their voice, their words, I'm sorry, to the ends of the world. So this unspoken, this soundless communication is going on, affecting everyone throughout the earth. The psalmist says the heavens communicate without words or sounds, but their message reaches everyone. The word for earth, as a matter of fact, is not just every square inch of the earth, but in fact, it speaks to dry land. So the communication is going out to wherever people are, dry land, mountains, rocky, rocky places, plains, deserts, everywhere. That communication is reaching everyone. So God's wisdom, one writer says, does not need to be spoken. Through creation, it is seen, felt, and experienced. Continue to look down. Verses 4, 5, and 6 are the end of verse 4. These speak of what the sun looks like to the psalmist. Remember, David is writing this, and he's looking up at the sky perhaps one night, thinking about these things. And he comes up with some unusual pictures of the sun. The sun is being described here. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. So David is speaking about this tent-like design of the heavens. In Psalm 104.2, he says, God stretches out the heavens like a tent. Now, in their perspective, it was some sort of form, some sort of habitation, some sort of shelter. In verse 5, he de describes the appearance and actions of the sun as he saw it. 
Listen to what Warren Rearsby, a pastor at Moody Church years ago, wrote. David was an outdoorsman and often watched the sunrise and sunset. And what he saw day after day reminded him of a bridegroom leaving the marriage pavilion to claim his bride and a vigorous athlete running a race. The first image speaks of glory, love, and anticipation, while the second speaks of power and determination. What a picture. David is trying to praise God, to recognize what God is doing, and even the sun has an impact on those on the earth. Man, it looks like the bridegroom coming out to the wedding. It looks like a strong athlete just running the race. And it goes on in precision. Verse 6 shows the sun running on time and supplying warmth. It rises at the end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. Scientists have often said if the sun somehow disappeared, everything on earth would be frozen solid. How wonderful that everything on the earth is warmed by the sun. It's God, God's power, God's creativity, God's blessing. So that's one aspect of God. The psalmist then switches gears and God's word comes in the center stage in the second section. It runs from seven to nine, just seven, eight, and nine. Charles Spurgeon, the great English preacher from years gone by, equates the scriptures with God's creation. So he's saying that David is describing God as creator, but he's also describing God as writer of his word. Spurgeon says, for expanse, for loftiness, for brightness, for glory, the scriptures are comparable to the heavens that declare the glory of God and to the sky that shows his handiwork. So we move into this time of understanding the scripture. Just a side note, the name of God is different here. It was Elohim in the first section. Here it is Jehovah or Yahweh. And that's Israel's name for the covenant God. That's the God who's their God, the God who cares about them covenant God, and that's mentioned six times here in this section, just three verses. Look at the descriptions of the word of God. Each one is important. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. Now understand that what's happening here in these verses, six different descriptions of the word of God are presented. Six different attributes of the word are presented and six different ministries of the word are presented. What it's called, how to describe it, and what it does for us. The law of the Lord is perfect, verse 7, refreshing the soul. Law of the Lord, what is it, how is it described? Perfect. And lastly, refreshing the soul. That's the Hebrew word for Torah or Torah which means instruction, direction, teaching. So the first mention of the word is that the word of God is perfect. And secondly, it mentions the impact for us. 
you're refreshed by the word of God. Just reading it, be sure it's perfect and understand you will be refreshed or revived. The second one also in verse seven is the word of God is called the statutes of the Lord. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord was the name given to the Ten Commandments. Those were the statutes of the Lord. Well, what are they known as? They're trustworthy. The reader with childlike faith benefits by becoming wise simply by reading the statutes of the Lord. The next two are in verse 8. The precepts of the Lord. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The precepts of the Lord are God's detailed instructions concerning practical life. This was what was described as that word of God that talked about living day to day. They're also called right, correct, without error. The reader benefits. What's the benefit there? Joy, joy. That's independent of life's difficult circumstances. Read the precepts of the Lord, joy. Also, verse 8, the commands of the Lord. They're radiant, giving light to the eyes. The commands of the Lord is what he has appointed, specific direction. They're called radiant, which means glowing or showing light. And so what's the benefit for us? Giving light to the eyes. The reader benefits by having light to see what to do, what not to do. Verse 9, two more. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. It reminds us this unusual name, fear of the Lord. Why would you call the word of God the fear of the Lord? Because I think as we approach it, it requires our humility and our respect because it is the word of the Lord. So it's called the fear of the Lord by David here. Our attitude to the word of God becomes pure when we come to him with awe and reverence. And the benefit, we realize that God's word is eternal. The book we read as the Bible is eternal. It is something that will endure forever, David says. And lastly, the sixth one, the decrees of the Lord are firm. All of them are righteous. <clears throat> the decrees of the Lord can be translated ordinances or even verdicts like in a trial. It refers to the decisions of a judge. And it says firm. Firm is immovable and to be relied upon. What God says is firm. It's done. It's decided upon. It's a verdict. How does the reader benefit? He sees that God is righteous and his word is righteous. Before David ends the session, he talks about two other things. <clears throat> the first one has to do with what he compares the word of God to. Verse 10, they are more precious than gold, much pure gold. The word of God to David was more valuable than wealth. And now he was a rich king. 
His son Solomon was even richer. But to him, that wealth paled in comparison to the word of God. How can it? Because it is the very teaching of God, the very word of God, the teaching of the creator of the universe. And then he says, they are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. God's book is even sweeter than the most wonderful food in the world. And David could have his pick. But he said, you know what? The word of God is sweeter. It's like the best dessert and then some. And that second thing, verse 11, he mentioned a really important factor of the word of God. He says the word of God acts as an alarm for us. It acts as an alarm for us. By them, David writes, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. You've seen instruction manuals. There's a section that questions you might want to ask or what happens if something goes wrong. The word of God does that. It gives us warnings. And what's so amazing about the statement that David makes is it gives us warnings. We heed the warnings and we're rewarded. We don't just save our skin. We are rewarded for spending that time listening to the alarms he gives. An amazing description of the word of God. The last section is God-given victory in this uh, grouping. Verses 12, 13, and 14. It speaks of sin in the believer's life, in the servant of God's life. The first thing David mentions is hidden faults. What are hidden faults? Hidden faults are sins you didn't realize were sins, and you committed them, and I didn't know. What you see here is the psalmist so concerned about pleasing his God that he takes time to say, show me where I messed up. I want to be sure the slate is clean. I want to confess those sins. Identify them for me. Confess them and please forgive me for them. But who can discern their errors? Forgive my hidden faults, he says. But there's more about sin. In verse 13, David mentions willful sins, those he committed on purpose. We remember with sorrow David's experience with Bathsheba, the woman next door, the adultery committed, and then the machinations to arrange for the husband to be murdered. Willful sins. And they're not just that big. There are other sins. The psalmist wanted to have the Lord help him give victory for willful sins. Listen to what he writes. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of transgression. Did you hear that second part? May they not rule over me. The servant of God, David, and other believers, 
can choose, even though we've been freed from sin as Christians, can choose to sin, just like David could choose to sin. He knew God. He was the man after God's own heart. And yet he chose to sin. And unfortunately, we do. But there's an answer there. He wants to be blameless, but he does not want these sins to rule over him. The servant of God can choose to sin, but he displeases his Lord when he does. The psalmist ends this psalm with verse 14, and it's a prayer. It speaks of the psalm, and it speaks of general life with the Lord. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock, my redeemer. The psalmist is talking about both his words and his thoughts. The word translate pleasing refers to the priest's examination of a sacrifice. Back then there were sacrifices, the tabernacle, the temple. You brought a sacrifice and the priest would make it a point to examine that sacrifice to be sure that it met God's standards. So as David prays here, he's saying, please examine the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. Please examine them to be sure they're acceptable to you, pleasing in your sight. He calls the Lord at the end both his rock and his redeemer. Uh, in Hebrew, the word rock here is really rocky cliff. It is a place of protection the place you go, a sheltering rock, if you will. And the other part is Redeemer. You remember the story of Boaz and Ruth? Boaz was the one eligible to be the kinsman Redeemer. He was going to redeem, rescue Ruth and provide a future for her. Redeemer, same, same word. So David calls the Lord both his rock and his redeemer. So let's get some takeaways. What can we take away from this that can benefit us as believers today? How does Psalm 19 encourage us in this year of confusion, strife, and fear? And it is that. First, let's look up. Look up to the heavens and the skies that God made. Do you worry about who's in charge in this world? Consider God's great power shown in the heavens. Look up. Do you wonder if anything good will come out of this year 2020? Look at the amazing work of God's hands in the heavens. David's trying to get his arms around this, and he says, the hands of the Lord have made these things. Will anything good come out of this situation we've been in? Yes. The same hands will shape the future that have shaped creation. Are you frustrated because God doesn't seem to care about the world? Know that he communicates to all people who he is through his creation and that day and night constantly. Oh, I don't really think so. No, yes, you should. God is communicating. People stop and think. 
Are you concerned about God's plans for you personally? Look at the pre-planned and precise course of the sun each day set in motion by God. That one like the bridegroom coming out of the tent. That one passes across the sky like an athlete. God planned that, prepared that. It's precise. It's exact. It's on time. Are you concerned about God's plans for you? You're looking to him. The same one that planned that is going to plan your life and lead you. The first takeaway is God's creation speaks. Are you listening? Am I listening? Second, let's look down at the wonderful word, the Bible. You seek instruction, direction, or teaching. You will be refreshed and revived when you read God's word. Just reading it. I think we can all speak to that, especially in troubling times. You go to the word of God and you hang on every word. It refreshes you. It revives you. There's instruction. There's direction. There's teaching. But no matter what, it has a positive reviving impact on you. You need to help with your decisions. Oh, I don't know what to do. You will find out how to be wise and live wisely when you read the Bible. It really says that. David says that. The simple, the ordinary person will become wise, will live wisely. You need help with the practical matters of life? Yes, the word of God will give you those matters and will give you joy. Joy is not just happiness. I was so happy the other day. It's wonderful. But joy is something more solid, more far-reaching. It gives you contentment. You know everything is okay. God-given God -given joy living in all circumstances. We've seen it in other Christians. We've seen it for people who are going through extremely hard times. There's a joy there. You need help with what he wants you to do or not do? He's radiant. The word of God is radiant, is, is light producing, and he'll direct your steps. He'll shine that light. You know, when the power goes out, the first thing you try to find is your flashlight. Why? You don't want to trip and fall. You shine the light ahead of you and you know exactly the pitfalls ahead. You know exactly where to go. You will find light for your path from the word of God. So God's word teaches. God's word teaches. Are you reading? Am I reading? And third, look within at your Christian life. Are you sensitive to the sins you don't realize you've committed? Just because you don't want to hurt the Lord. Just because you want to be pure like he wants you to be. Ask the Lord to show you and then confess your hidden faults. Well, I don't want to be thinking about my sin all the time. Just be aware of it. But there's worse, the sins that are called willful sins. 
Are you choosing to commit favorite sins? Perhaps secret sins that you never tell anybody about, but you never give them up. You're a Christian. The Lord loves you. The Lord wants you to be faithful to him. Call on the Lord to help you say no to willful sins and confess those you've committed. John tells us if we, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And lastly, are you careful with your words and your thoughts? Well, what I think, no one knows. But the Lord knows. Sometimes the words you say are not very appropriate. I've been there, unfortunately. Look to God to direct your words and heart meditation so as to be pleasing to God, that he can look and go, it's perfect. Great job. God gives victory. Have you asked God for victory in your personal life? Just a final word to those who have joined us by Zoom but have never decided to follow Christ. Yeah, you don't want to. You too have looked up to the heavens and seen the handiwork and power of the Almighty. You have. These images in your mind scream the existence of the Creator. But maybe you've blocked these mental pictures from your mind. You've also looked down at the strong words from the Bible. You've heard it here, you've heard it today, you've heard it at CBC, you've heard it from friends. It's speaking of God's love and the danger of sin and Christ's death for you on the cross. You've heard it all, but you've been too busy with life. It's ups and it's downs, mainly downs lately. So you pass it over. Ignoring the creation, ignoring the Bible and what you've been taught. The invitation to have your life transformed for the better is on the table this morning. We're talking to believers, but we're talking to those who just don't want to believe. Old English preacher Charles Spurgeon said, we are all fellow passengers to the grave. We are all fellow passengers to the grave. We care about those who've chosen not to believe. So what do I do? If I do want to change, if I do want to transform, if I do believe the creator, if I do believe the one who wrote the word, you need to repent of your sin and accept that incredible forgiveness that comes from Christ who died on the cross for us because all of your sin was placed on him. He took the punishment and he offers you a free gift. Accept it. That's what God is calling you to do. The Bible says, behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Ask him into your life this morning. So important. Call a friend. Talk to them about it. So key. So Psalm 19, Psalm 19 has such a benefit for us. Be encouraged. God's creation speaks 
his word teaches and he gives victory. And if you've never trusted Christ, wow, this is a great, great time. David himself in heaven will be rejoicing with the angels if you choose that. Lean on this word. Look at the, the chapter again when you get a chance. You'll see the impact it can have on your life. And be encouraged in 2020. Let's close in prayer. Dear Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look at your word, to marvel at your creation. It speaks loudly to so many people. It can't be written off even though people try. We see your word, especially as Christians, and we, we can benefit from it. We can be wise, we can be joyful, we can be directed, we can have light. We can follow your leading. Help us in that, Father, we pray. We thank you for it. And help us even as we deal with sin in our life. We want to serve you. Continue to sanctify us as Christians to make us more like Jesus Christ. Not I, but Christ liveth in me, Paul said. We thank you for that. Bless our congregation, Father. Bless each one who's watched today. <clears throat> and each one who is in fellowship here. In Jesus' name, amen.